Good morning. Blessed Father's Day to all the fathers, including the spiritual ones as well. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you. And we realize that you long for intimacy with us. And that is why you send the Lord Jesus Christ to die for our sins, so that we can be reconciled with you. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit stirring in our hearts, even as we hear your word preached. We pray that you will renew us, you will restore us, and you will reclaim us and your, our love for you. So Lord, be with your servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. An elderly couple was lying in bed and she is not satisfied with the distance between them. She reminds him, when we were younger, you used to hold my hand in bed. He hesitated for a while, but in a few moments, a wrinkled hand snakes across the bed and grabs her hand. She is still not satisfied. When we were younger, you used to cuddle right up next to me. More serious hesitation now. But eventually, after a few groans, he laboriously turns his body and cradles her as best as he can. Yet she is still not satisfied. She said, when we were younger, you used to nibble on my ear. There was a loud sigh. He throws back the covers. He bolts out of bed. She is somewhat hurt by this. And then she asked, where are you going? The grumpy old man replied, to get my teeth. The original topic for today was reconciled, sex restored, and reclaimed. When you are of certain age, it is not possible to restore and reclaim sex. You know what I mean, those of you who are already there. But there can still be hope for intimacy. So that is the reason why I've entitled the sermon, or re-entitled uh, re the sermon, um, intimacy, reconciled, restored, and reclaimed. The reason why I replace sex with intimacy is because intimacy is actually what we long for. There's this thing, right? This saying that says that men never have enough sex. A woman don't laugh because you never have enough intimacy. So women give intimacy or women give sex to have intimacy. And men give intimacy to have sex. Intimacy is what we long for, eventually. We don't just desire physical union, but emotionally, emotional union as well. What we long for is actually intimacy. Emotional and physical union that lasts longer than a few minutes of sex. John Ortberg, in his book, I Like You More If You Were More Like Me, getting real about getting close. And he writes like this, Somewhere along the way, in the minds of a lot of people in our culture, the word intimacy got all tangled up with sex. Even though, but even though there is a connection between the two words, they are not interchangeable. And one is not necessarily dependent on the other. 
We don't need to have sex to be intimate with someone. And we don't need to be intimate with someone in order to have sex. In fact, the vast majority of our intimate relationships have absolutely nothing to do with sex. Intimacy also applies to our relationships with our children, our parents, our friends, our co-workers, and even God. So today, we want to consider the deeper issue of intimacy instead of just talking about sex. In our relationships, tenderness and devotion go through cycles. It may be your relationship with God, it may be your relationship with your wife, or your husband, or your children, or your siblings, or your parents, you can fill in with whatever relationships you have. It goes through a cycle. Conflicts are inevitable. And sometimes love appears to be dead. However, love and intimacy can be restored. And that's why this is a series on a celebration of love. Have you wondered why we have termed this as in celebration of love? And not a lament of love. Because the Song of Songs, it is actually about a celebration. In this sermon, we will further examine the theology of intimacy, the importance of reconciliation, restoration, and reclaiming of love and intimacy. Our text this morning is Song of Solomon, chapter 6. I will be using the New English Translation, which I find very helpful with the modern translation, and the complementary footnotes. Our first point is intimacy reconciled. I will read for us the text. Verse 1. Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned? Tell us that we may seek him with you. This chapter begins with the maidens of Jerusalem asking the beloved where her husband has gone to and they offered their help to look for him. We do not know the exact reason for the husband leaving her without a word. Very likely, they had a conflict or an argument. So much so that the husband walks out on her. She knows him intimately and knows where to find him, evidenced by what she tells the maidens in verse 2. My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the flower beds of balsam spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. One of the things about an intimate relationship is that you know each other intimately. Sometimes you can even read the other person's mind. Before the person do anything, you already know what the other person is going to do because you have an intimate relationship with your partner. You can anticipate his or her actions and speech. You know where your partner will go to when she or he is unhappy and what he or she will be doing. And she expresses this perfectly in verse 3. I am my lover's 
and my lover is mine. He graces among the lilies. I want to draw us our attention to her attitude in a conflict. Remember that they just had a conflict. Her speech actually gave her away. I am my lover's and my lover is mine. There is a mutual possession here. I belong to my lover and my, my, my beloved belong to me. She longs for reconciliation. Despite the conflict, she still loves him. Their union is not broken. Her heart is still tender towards him. In times of conflict, listen to this. Do not harden your heart towards one another. Don't think of separation. Don't even mention divorce, whether you mean it as a threat or otherwise, because the other person may just take it up. Don't let the evil one have a foothold in your relationship. Reflect on your pride. Always think and work towards reconciliation. You can be assertive in your conversation. You can be assertive in your argument, in your dispute. Sometimes it can even be heated. But always have a soft heart and work towards reconciliation. Don't harden your heart or soon you have a dead heart. And with it, love and intimacy will die. Remember, all of us have a longing for intimacy. So don't self-destruct. She knows where to find him. Verse 3 says, He is grazing his flock among the lilies. So she goes and finds him there. And verse 4 to verse 10, intimacy restored. This is what Solomon says to his beloved. And we see intimacy being restored. The moment he saw her, he welcomed her and admires her. That is a heart of reconciliation. Verse 4, my darling, when, she, when he sees her, my darling, <laughs> it's not old wretched, old wretched woman, why are you here? No, no, no. My darling, <laughs> my darling, you are as beautiful as Terza, as lovely as Jerusalem, as awe-inspiring as Bennett armies. Turn your eyes away from me, they overwhelm me. He compares her beauty to two of the most beautiful and important cities in Israel, namely Jerusalem and Terza. The, the beauty of Jerusalem was legendary. It was twice called the perfection of beauty. It is so beautiful until it is perfect. Psalm chapter 50 or Psalm 50 verse 2 and Lamentations 2 verse 15. So beautiful was Terza. Terza was also beautiful. In fact, the name Terza means pleasure, beauty. So beautiful was Terza that it would be chosen by Jeroboam as the original capital of the northern kingdom. Her beauty, he continues, is awesome, awe-inspiring, awesome and impressive like the march of bannered armies. The march of a bannered army is very impressive. I do not know whether you will get the goosebumps when you see National Day Parade. 
You know, you see the guard of honor, and then you see the different contingents walk, marching by. You see the columns of uh, vehicles, tanks uh, driving by, and then you hear the F-15 and the F-16 flying over your head. It gives us goosebumps, awe-inspiring, Bennett armies. His praise indicates that he had forgiven her completely. Even if there's any wrongdoing on her part, he is the king. You try offending the king, your head will roll. But he praises her. If you are still unforgiving, you won't say things like this from verse 4 and verse 5. Then he says, Don't look at me. Turn your eyes away from me. They overwhelm me. Don't look at me like that. I cannot take it. I tabule tahan me. I am overwhelmed. You know, what kind of look? Surely it's not the killer look. Huh? It's the loving look, right? The loving glance of a lady. Right? That is how uh, he expresses it. And then going on. Turn your eyes away from me. They overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Sounds familiar? Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them missing. Like a slice of pomegranate is your forehead behind your veil. Pastor Isaac gave us a very good visual on this. Right? The picture, remember? The, 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 the hair of goats. Right? Uh, you still remember that. I, I will not uh, belabor the point, but the, the point is this. She is beautiful, she is desirable, and she wants her. Verse 8 continues. There may be 60 queens and 80 concubines and young women without number. Some scholars observe that this number is much lower than Solomon's later years. So perhaps this gives us a hint that the Song of Solomon was written quite early on in his reign. Whatever it is, the context of what he is saying is this. Among his whole harem of so many women, she is special. She is special. She is unique. Look at verse 9, continues. But she is unique, my dove, my perfect one. She is the special daughter of her mother. She is the favourite of the one who bore her. The maiden saw her and complimented her. The queens and concubines praised her. You know, it is not a simple matter to live in the palace. I think all of us have watched enough uh, movies eh, to know that, right? There's a lot of politics, a lot of backstabbing, a lot of jealousy. Why? Because they want the king's love. Right? So she is the unique one. His dove, his perfect one. She is the special favourite of her own mother. The maidens, the queens, the concubines praised her. She is well-liked. She is the people's queen. Everybody loves her, as it were. Who is this who appears like the dawn? Beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, 
awe-inspiring as the stars in procession. She is beautiful at night and she is also beautiful in the day. She is beautiful without makeup. Okay, that means to say in the morning you wake up, you won't get a shock. She is fresh like a dawn. In fact, awe-inspiring, arranged like the stars in procession. The stars are never out of place. The stars are always in place. So what does it mean here? Her features, beautiful, at the right place, at the right spot. Not one big, one not sm uh, or small. It's the precise size, precise distance. Verse 11 to 13 describes for us how intimacy is reclaimed. Solomon described this in poetry. Okay, so we need to have some imagination. He's actually describing their lovemaking, the reclaiming of intimacy. I went down to the orchid of walnut trees to look for the blossoms of the valley to see if the vines had budded or if the pomegranates were in bloom. Solomon takes the initiative to explore. To explore what? To explore her. I don't know whether he is exploring with his hands or just his eyes or he is exploring with both. I leave that to your imagination. He checks her out to see whether she is ready, whether the season is here. He is ready to reclaim intimacy. Man is ever ready. Right, man? Ever ready. But it is equally important that the woman is ready. And after checking her out, verse 12, he says this, I was beside myself with joy. He rejoices. Why? Because she is ready. She disco he discovered that she is ready. Why? Because the blossom is there, the vines have budded, and the pomegranates were in bloom. She is ready. And she is not rejecting his advances. And then he says, There, please give me your mirth, or give me your love. He then expresses verbally and physically, and then she reciprocates. There is song and dance in the bed, as it were. It takes two to tango, people say. Verse 13. This is the song and dance. Turn, turn, O perfect one. Turn, turn, that I may stare at you. And then, the lady, the beloved, says to her, King, why do you gaze upon the perfect one like the dance of Maha Naim? Turning in the bed, staring into one another's eyes, gazing upon the perfect one and dancing. It is a description of lovemaking, isn't it? It sounds like passionate lovemaking after the conflict. The restoration and reclaiming of intimacy. Intimacy reconciled. Intimacy restored. And intimacy reclaim. I quote Pastor Isaac in his pastor's voice and he says like this. You heard it and I want you to hear it again. Sometimes 
Intimacy can fizzle out. Love can grow cold. But our dead hearts can be revived. After all, Jesus is the master at resurrection. Not just in resurrecting life, but resurrecting hearts. Just as Solomon and his lover worked through their challenges and loved again, God worked through the hardness of our hearts to love again, as he demonstrated by calling Hosea to love his wife again after she ran away to be a prostitute. Hosea bought his wife back from the slave market to love again. You know the story of Hosea? If you do not know the story of Hosea, go back and read the story of Hosea. It talks about this man and his wife. And the wife keeps running away to be a prostitute. And he keeps redeeming her, pursuing her and redeeming her. And she keeps running away. And Hosea chapter 3 verse 1 says to Hosea, the Lord says to Hosea, Go, show love to your wife again, even though she loves another man and continually commits adultery. Likewise, the Lord loves the Israelites although they turn to other gods and love to offer raisin cakes to idols. What are you thinking now? Initial reading, I was thinking to myself, why is Hosea so stupid? Right? Will you marry a prostitute? This is not just one-time prostitute. No? This is a repeat prostitute. Why every time buy her, she run away, buy her, run away, buy her, run away. Right? That was my initial reading. Further reflection, I think to myself, look, I am that prostitute. God has redeemed me time and over again, yet I run away. This picture of the church being the bride, God, the Lord Jesus Christ as the bridegroom. Am I a pure bride? I have to say no. I have turned away time over again. He purchased me, I turn away again. I love the things of this world. There is great temptation. I love the praises of men, right? Every one of us have the last of the eyes, last of the flesh. We want a more comfortable life. We want to have the finer things in life. We want to have endless supply of money so we can get all those things. But Lord continues to pursue us. The Lord doesn't give up on us. Friends, that is God's love for us. Even when we go after other gods and our hearts have grown cold, His pursuing love revives our hearts. We are allowed to make U-turns just like the prostitute wife, right? Every time she U-turns, Hosea embraces her. Every time I U-turn, my heavenly Father welcomes me home. Think about your conflict. When your loved ones make a U-turn, do we embrace that person again? So let us 
give God our core hearts to be resurrected again so that we may find intimacy with our spouse and with God once again. Friends, don't allow your hearts to grow cold. Don't let your heart die. Don't harden your heart. Don't allow your heart to be hardened because that is what Satan is trying to do. But we know that God wants to take our hardened hearts and give us a heart of flesh. May God help us to take the initiative to reconcile so that we can experience restoration and reclaim intimacy both with God and with our loved ones.